What I want you to look for today in the land of mirages, I want you to look for the external and the internal, for that which is eternal and then that which is temporary. And so I'd like to begin this morning. We're going to have an adventure and again, our summer series of it's what they say, but then Jesus turns it upside down. But I say this. We will fix our eyes on the one who overcame. We sang that today. We will fix our eyes on the one who overcame. But how do we do this? Living in the land of mirages. Up in back of us is a mirage that's very famous in Africa. I think I watched too much TV as a kid. You know, I sat there in the black and white and then moved into color TV. I know this was a long time ago. But I sat too much in front of those old science fiction movies from the 50s and the early 60s. The Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, if you haven't seen it. Giant spiders from Mars. Things that calamitously go all over. I remember my first move I ever saw. My cousin took me to see Godzilla, the original, destroying Tokyo. I was six years of age. I'm like, I'm glad those things don't exist. But they look so real. The thing about all of that, it looks so real. But there are no big Godzillas. I haven't met a 50-foot woman yet. It doesn't exist. It's kind of in the land of mirages that look so real. You've been with our series in the summer, and you know that John's talking about the external, the internal, that which is eternal, and then that which is temporary. And the things that literally are temporary look so eternal, but they're not. It's like living in the land of mirages. When I was a kid watching some of those films, some of my favorite ones, you know, there were some calamitous ones, you know, volcanoes and the, the lava comes down and takes out all these people. Janine did not like those. I didn't like the quicksand stories. You know, I found out last week it's not true. You don't just die in quicksand. You only go up to your hips. Why didn't they tell me as little kids I hated that? But then the third thing is going out into the desert with the French Foreign Legion with the hats. That was like so exotic and they're fighting whomever and they're dry and they're parched and their lips are cracking and they don't know where to get water and they're on the edge of death and then someone sees the oasis the mcdonald's the lemonade shack whatever they see but it looks so absolutely real but guess what it doesn't exist it's a mirage we kind of live in the land of mirages that which looks so eternal and unmovable will be shaken and go away. And then that which is actually eternal is so subtle that we can miss it. And so today as we're in this adventure, we hear Jesus making this statement, and he says this, and I love it. And when you pray, don't be like the actors on the stage. Remember that? That was the word from last week. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, external, external, to be seen, external, by others. But truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. Let me stop for a second. Reward. You know what I was noticing last week? 
the guy who was speaking to us, John, was a finance guy. He understood outcomes. He understood return on investments. And when he sits there and talks about eternal rewards, I'm listening because he knows what he's talking about. But now we return to this word reward. It says again, they've received their reward in full, temporary. But when, when you are praying, go into your room. Close the door and pray to the Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in the secret places will reward you. So we're back on that theme of the external and the internal with some wanting to be seen and others going to the unseen. And those that are actually praying but praying to other people to be higher on the pecking order and yet that one who goes into that secret place closes the door and being unseen in that location then speaks to the unseen. And John told us so well last week, it's not about going into a closet and closing a door and somehow take out a flashlight and start to pray. It has nothing to do with that. But it is moving from the external to the internal. It's moving from a place to be seen by others external to a place of being unseen in front of the unseen. And the one who is unseen in the text, God, says he will see you who are unseen in that time when you're talking to him, and he will reward you. I'm on that because, you know, as a kid, I don't know what prayer is about. But what I've learned is this Jesus is literally a specialist, an expert in turning unreligious, irreligious people into prayer catalysts. Think of those disciples. That was a tough crowd. Professional fishermen, I've known a few. Tough crowd. IRS agents, tough crowd. These are the people that Jesus said, ah, no one's going to believe it. But I'm going to turn you guys and the gals that followed into prayer catalysts that will do things that change the world. And so that gives me hope, and maybe you hope today, that he knows how to take my life and in that life figure out a way how to take me into the unseen and connect with him who is unseen and start to do things in that wonderful conversation. This is Jesus. You know, when I, when I got to become a follower of, of him, my life totally turned around in that Asbury Park thing, and some of you know about that. People say, how can anybody's life turn around in Asbury Park? Mine did. And I, and I hadn't been to church yet in that first week. Who would have ever believed that this kid at a school at a summer job, doing cigarettes. That's what my job was, cigarette wheel. Had to get out of that. Just experienced this unseen in my life. Would somehow be motivated at the end of the evening about 9 or 10 o'clock to just go out on the beach and to find this jetty that's behind you and walk out 150 feet. I liked walking on jetties 
into a place where at the end of that jetty, under the Milky Way and the stars of a thousand galaxies, and I would begin to meet with God. I'm the least likely guy, fraternity brat. Didn't know anything. I can't remember one conversation about God my first 18 years anywhere in my family. Never saw my dad pray, never saw my mother pray, ever. Didn't go to a school of prayer, never went to VBS, didn't have fun days Sunday, had nothing. Didn't have Mike, didn't have friends, but something moved me. I didn't have to have a book on prayer. I just knew that somebody was in my life. And I'd walk out in that evening air, and if you're out at 12 at night, you feel those fresh breezes and sitting there with the sound of the, the water. And in the back of me, still the last rides of the roller coasters and all the craziness that I can still hear in my ear at this moment and the contrast of that which is external and that which is internal and the contrast which that looks so real in the world of mirages, which actually isn't, to the one who was unseen and actually is. I didn't have fancy words. I hadn't even been to church. I just said, God, I want to talk to you, and I believe some way you want to talk to me. And I looked forward to that time so deeply. If I couldn't get out to that jetty at the end of the day, I would just crawl out in my Asbury Park, 3rd Avenue apartment, 3rd floor to the fire escape. No, it wasn't a sacred place by people in the external world's ideas. Who would ever think that that place could become a holy of holies? But I'd open that rattly old wood window with the glass that kind of shook in an apartment that needed to be dressed up, no question. And I'd walk out on that fire escape and I'd sit there and that's a place where God met me. You know why? Because God likes to meet us. You know why? Because he's a specialist with people like you and me. We don't have to have gone to school and learned this and have 10,000 words. In fact, what Jesus says in all of this, he says, you know, when you want to be seen and all of your words and the, the pagans do all this babbling, they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. You know, it's actually not 10,000 words. Probably some of the biggest answers to seeing God move have come in these short bursts where the Lord says, what do you want me to do for you? I want to see. Good, we're done. Simple kind of stuff. Simple kind of people. The Bible was written in Greek. Not heavy classical Greek. Street Greek. Jesus spoke street Aramaic because he was like you and like me. Real life. I think if we had hung out with the disciples, if somehow I could take into a time machine and go back there, I'm not going to see people with halos over their heads. They're not going to wear monks' clothes. They're going to smell like fish. <laughs> They're going to have coins in their pocket from the last audit. People like you and me. They're not going to be something that you wonder where, where they come from. They're just ordinary people with now a big story because of a big God who entered their life. And Jesus, who picked ordinary people like you and me, skipped others that thought they knew everything, and said, hey, let's do this together. Entered their life. And then one day the disciples came to him and they said, okay, we got it. Master, 
just to pray. They didn't say, teach us about prayer. They just said, teach us to pray. Don't give us an encyclopedia. We can't, we probably even not know how to read it. Everybody else will teach us about prayer, but, but you, you've got something going here, Jesus. Teach us to pray. And then the Lord taught him to pray. You know, in my life, I, I think there's more times I can read books about prayer, but that doesn't move me to prayer. I can learn some things. I can talk about it. I can lead a Bible study. I can do a seminar, yada, yada. But it may not lead me to that quiet place on the end of the jetty. I have little places. There's one church I go to. There's a little path in Lambertsville down by the canal. And I go on there once in a while, maybe three, four times a year, and then I'm one mile walking back, just talk to him. I like having a place. I hope you have places. But what I find in our talk today is that this Jesus is an incredible expert in turning unreligious, irreligious, former atheists, ordinary people into prayer catalysts. And I thought what I'd do is just in this land of the mirages to talk about how he can change our lives and what I've learned over these years. I don't think I'll ever write a book about this. I don't know if it will ever sell. I don't know if it's stuffed with enough theology, but it's just Dave. You know, my first point is simply this. God listens. I don't know how deep that is, but it really is deep. He really listens to you. If you're eight years old, he listens to you. If you're 80 years old, he listens to you. Janine and I met a gal a long time ago when we were, we were at Penn State, and this young gal, she, she was born with such a hearing deficit that her voice literally had not heard the sound of what words really are fluently communicated with, and so it was her best attempt at that. She had two huge earring, hearing aids, one on each ear. And with that, she could literally only hear sounds. But as she heard sounds, she knew things were going on. She lip-read because that's the best that she could do. And she told us a story that I will never forget, nor my wife. She said when she went to school in western Pennsylvania, she would always have to cross six railroad tracks, one after the other, in kind of a horseshoe curve type of place. But those trains came flying by this blind curve that by the time you start out, if you didn't know that a train was not coming, you were gone. And she said, I'd always put my hearing aids in and I could hear the slightest, slightest noise if I closed my eyes. And with those hearing aids on, I knew that a train was coming. But then one day she said, I forgot my hearing aids and I'm halfway to school and it was a long walk and I didn't know what to do and I'm just a young lady, I'm just a young girl in high school and I said, oh God, I can't hear. I closed my eyes, can I safely walk? And she felt in her heart, no. She opened her eyes. Whoosh. The train buzzed right by her. She had to be right on that call. But my main point is, the Lord 
is listening. There was a gal, Harriet Tubman, probably know her, operated in this area in Newark. A slave, 1850s, interested in her life because as a, as a woman, a young woman, she decided not just to escape freedom. And when she got to Ohio, it said she almost expected gold dust to fly across her because she was now free, how powerful freedom was. But then she went back 17 times into, quote, enemy territory to rescue probably 280 men, women, and children. That's a great story. She was the first woman to lead an infantry charge in the United States military history, loaded with a pistol that she carried. And as she went on with that, led that charge against a, uh, a fortress, she got a military pension for the rest of her life. Most of us don't even know these stories. I didn't know them until I took a, took a look at it. But the most stunning thing about her was that her biographer said, a Quaker person said, of all the people in her generation, she heard the voice of God and obeyed it like no one else. That caught my attention. It said of her that when she had a group of people and they were on a barge and they're flowing down, the, I believe it was the Ohio River, and it was deep, and she didn't know how to swim, nor did she know how to read, and she was, they were getting attacked and people were on her case. And remember, she had probably a million-dollar bounty on her head. At that moment, she called out in the middle of the night in her own voice, God, can I safely get off this barge and escape, or do I stay? Will I drown, or will I stay? And in her special place of that conversation with God, she heard, it's safe. She dropped into the water. It came up to her shoulders. She lived. Second time, a group of people and she were heading towards another place in Ohio, always a safe town. But in the midst of that, she had a check in her spirit not to go to that town, even though it was so safe with friends. And little did she know when she went all the way around, the next day she found out they were waiting for her in that town. Her biographer, a great man, a Quaker man, says that one day she walked up to him, knocked on the door of his uh, business and said, well, I'm here. And he goes, what are you here for? She said, well, you know, I sort of heard that somebody has sent some stuff to me. And he goes, how'd you hear? Well, I was in prayer, really. And, well, you know something, Harriet? It's true. We just picked up 30,000 pounds from England and it's here for your ministry. Happened a second time. Never was she wrong. She was probably one of the greatest souls in the 19th century who heard and then obeyed the voice of God. No education, no Bible. Couldn't even read the Bible. Memorized some of it. But she developed in that quiet place the realization that God not only loved her, but he could share direction in her life. So my point on that, number one, God listens. He listens not to 10,000 words. It doesn't impress him. He listens to two or three or ten. Some people move on and develop a greater life. That's beautiful. But ordinary folks, whether you're in the subway or you're in the streets of Manhattan, or you're there in the board meeting, or at lunch at the cooler, and you think that you're all alone, and everything's seemingly falling apart, and you whisper out to the one who is unseen, he's listening. He really is. Secondly, 
Lean into the unseen because you are talking to the unseen. You know, I think there's like a ceiling somewhere in your life or in my life where I wondered as a very early person, is this just bouncing off the ceiling? And that in itself becomes a ceiling. And you wonder if your prayers, how small they are, ever got any further than your roof. And that probably stops a lot of us from even beginning. But the reality is, if you break through that ceiling and you start to specifically target things in prayer, you're going to begin to see some of them really come to pass in ways you've never expected. I was on a train. I came back to New Jersey like nine years ago, and I said, okay, I'm going to be a real commuter now. I got on a train at like five in the morning where we were living, where we are living, and headed into Manhattan because I was getting a seminar, that SDI seminar, which you'll hear a lot about that in the future, but we were being trained with six people. So I'm in this huge car, rolling into New York City. I'm thinking, well, I just get some sleep. I couldn't sleep, so I said, well, and I'm not a big, big, big prayer for people all over the place around me. I'm not like that kind of guy. I'm just Dave. But you know, I said, maybe I'll pray for some people in the, in the strap holders. And there was this one lady, true story, one lady, and I, and I just said, yeah, I just started to pray for her. As I prayed for her, it was as if I sensed she's not in a good place, the, like depression and stuff. And I started to pray for her, I started to pray for her. Boom, we're in Penn Station, all the doors open, crushing out at, at rush hour, going 10 blocks away, going up to the 12th story of this one complex, building complex, going into room 105, down a corridor. I walk in, there's five other people there, and guess who's in the room? That woman. I tell you the absolute truth. What are the chances of that? Any actuarial people here want to take a chance on that? And I got to talk to her. And I said, you know Weren't you that? Yeah, she goes, weren't you the guy sitting? Weren't you the gal? And I said, in a little boldness, I just really sensed that God wanted me to do some praying for you. She goes, well, she goes, I'm really depressed. Opened it right up. She was a believer from Detroit. She was on staff at a church. And that interaction was very real. Doesn't happen all the time. But if you begin you'll see things happen in this adventure of life. So lean into the unseen because in that unseen, you're going to be talking to the unseen and that one says he will reward you. Not reward you for 1,000, 10,000 words. Not reward you because you spent five hours in prayer and something that could have been done in three minutes. He'll reward you because you decided in the land of living, in the land of mirages, to talk to the one who is unseen and realize something could happen. The next thing I think I've learned is, is number five, um, no, number four, lean into praying the ends over praying the means. This is an answer to uh, one of our sixth graders who said, when you pray, does God answer specifically word for word and have to do that? That's a huge question because many times when we pray, we see God doing an end run or going this way and that way. 
And many times when we look at that, we say to ourselves, well, he's not answering prayer because he didn't do the way I wanted him to do it. I gave him A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, and he pulled H, I, J on me, and so what's the deal with that? Well, because I lean into the ends and let God take care of the means. The ends are beautiful. He's got the same ends in mind that I do. Once in a while I talk about the means, but I always give him the sovereignty to change what he wants to change. So I wonder how many times in our lives have we kind of given up on this prayer thing because we wanted a job on Madison Avenue and the job happened to be in Hoboken. But it is in Hoboken where your life's going to reach somebody else's life that's going to usher in some other fantastic thing. But because you're not on Madison Avenue, you're like, ha, see, doesn't work. No, 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 no. He's taking what you're praying about, and he gets the sovereign call to shift it around. So you just say something like, uh, well, we work on that person. We work on me first because I need the work. But you need something going on in someone's life. Let the Lord work on you. Because he knows how to handle it. And he listens to you in the unseen place. And he moves on it. Can I tell you the truth? People have written books called The Mystery of Unanswered Prayer. You know what the mystery is? Why anybody bought it. <laughs> you find that in the Bible? The Mystery of Unanswered Prayer. Prayer is never unanswered. Prayer never goes unheard. Your simple voice, what his word says, and Tim was alluding to it, you've got standing before him. And he listens to you. Not because of our eloquence or five-syllable words in Latin that have now translated into English. Give him street Greek. Give him Aramaic. Keep it simple. And, and Jesus goes, you know, I kind of understand that. I hung out with fishermen. I understand that. Now, now we're talking the same language. It doesn't matter if you're on the sub, wherever you are. Lean into the ends and let him take care of the means. You can pray the means, but if the means shift, let him do that. I waited 40 years for my dad to come to faith. I waited. My mom came to faith. My grandfather came. To, they all came to faith. But they didn't come on my schedule. They came on, on his kind of schedule. So the next piece on number five is prayer really is what I call, uh, it's a conversation. It's not a soliloquy. The people that were out on the street in the world of living in the mirages, they thought that by seeing this in front of people that they were going to get a higher pecking order and all that wonderful stuff and people are going to think great things about them. And Jesus said, you know, it's not going anywhere. It's just so temporary. They got the reward. I hope they feel good about it. But I got a special reward for you. See, I want you to be kind of unseen. And when you're unseen, then you're talking to me who's unseen and I'm going to really bless you because of that. You see, he's very subtle in life. One of the greatest, probably the greatest theological statement I have heard in my adult life came from a guy in recovery. Recovery. Addiction. And he said to me as he stuck out his hand, I serve and worship. He had to say higher power, but then he winked and said, Jesus... I serve a higher power who makes miracles look like coincidences 
And then he says, don't tell anybody we did this. Was he right or was he wrong? I serve a higher power who tells me that miracles he makes to look like coincidences so people don't always get it. And then, by the way, don't tell anybody we did this because he's really subtle. He doesn't need Times Square. He doesn't need to be lit up on the Internet. You could do that if you want to, but he's not asking for it. What he basically does is does his work making huge miracles look like coincidences and then telling you, don't go around telling this to everybody because they won't understand anyway. It's between you and me because it's not the external, it's the internal. Doesn't mean you shouldn't pray together because there's accelerated power in prayer together, but he wants us first in that quiet place. It's a conversation. It's not a soliloquy. I had a man say to me, just a few more minutes from now, a man said to me this. He said, David, how does God get your attention? What? No, how does he get your attention? Well, what do you mean? Well, how does your wife get your attention? Oh, I know that pretty well. How do you get your wife's attention? I know that pretty well. How do you get your kid? How do your kids get? How does your weird cat wakes us up at 5.30 every morning by just crying out for us? Cat gets our attention. He knows how to do it. In fact, goes to the, the place in our house where the largest echo happens. And that little guy, Gabriel, knows how to do this. He knows how to get our attention. And we get up. How does God get your attention? Sometimes it's through people. Sometimes it's that still small voice like Harriet Tubman or the gal from, uh, from Penn State who couldn't hear. Every once in a while, you catch something on the radio and once in a while you have a thought and you go, you know, my brain isn't smart enough to think a thought like that. Where did that come from? Boing. Maybe it was God telling you that. Or you have a great mystery. I mean, I, I remember I talked to God so many times. I said, Lord, why does this happen? Why does this happen? Why does this happen? Silence, 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 silence. One time I'm crossing a street. God, why does this happen? Answer came like that. I went, that was so simple, God. Like, where have I been? Well, when I wanted you to know this, I tell you. God knows how to get your attention. Sometimes it's through calamity. Sometimes it's through losing a job or gaining a job or going here or going there or a new friend. But if you start to look, it's a pilgrimage. And he takes us wherever we are and wherever we start. I don't care if you pray 30 seconds a day. You can stretch it to a minute. <laughs> I don't know, you might bounce off the walls, but somewhere you can break through that ceiling and you realize he's sitting there saying, watch this, I can do it. Just give me a little time. It's, it's, it's not like McDonald's. So, so just start, number seven, just start. Because he's an expert at turning ordinary people into prayer catalysts. I kind of use that. Uh, number six, that's before seven. I was, never was good in math. But, uh, but prayer, <laughs> it's really true. Prayer brings God close. You know why? Because he's an active listener. You remember you had to go to school and you had to learn about active listening and that was in speech course, whatever you go to the leadership thing at work. Active listening, eye to eye contact, be with the person, don't be on your devices. Passive listening is <sighs> on the devices, oh, you know. You know. God's an active listener. Do you know when you talk to him, 
His eyes are on you. He doesn't have real physical eyes, but his eyes are on you. In fact, he listens to every word, every single word. Even if it's grammatically incorrect, it makes no difference. You know why? Because he really loves talking with you. It's like our kids. We love it when our kids talk to us. I love it when this cat actually, not at 5.30, but actually he's talking to us. I love it. I love, you know, it's good. Why wouldn't God want to do that with us? Oh, I got to be in a special place. No, you don't. You can be in the subway. You can be on the train home. You can be in your back closet. You can be anywhere. But just begin. So go to number eight, because that follows seven. I do know that. You God, give God time to act, because it's not McDonald's. McDonald's, we want it right now. People get into fights because their food's late, and that winds up on the news. This took more than three minutes. How come you took that long to make my egg sandwich? And there's a big battle there. Well, and so we say to God, okay, God, I prayed this, and nothing happened. When? In the next three minutes. I needed a job. Nothing happened. For how long? It's been a week. Oh, really? Well, you ever think that maybe God could be orchestrating a vacancy in another position, in another group, in another office, and that's going to take a month or so to actually get out? The person's not going to be jettisoned out of their chair tomorrow out the window? Things take time. And so what we call the mystery of unanswered prayer and sell books on it is really God saying, hey, just hold it, hold it, hold it. I'm on this. Give me some time. And so a lot of times we're just looking for patience. Number nine, look at the movement, maybe not yet the answer. What do we mean by that? Well, you, you get to a point in your pilgrimage with God, because we're all pilgrims in this life of the land of mirages, where you can begin to see what God is doing even before the answer to your prayer is fully there. You pray for a situation, and you start to see movement. You pray for something over there, you start to see movement. And you'll come to a point of saying, I am seeing God at work, even though I don't have the fulfillment yet of what I saw. You say, David, where's that in the book? Elijah, the guy, prophet of old, kind of a wild guy, uh, cool thing. God said to him, by the way, just say there's no rain, no rain's coming. A couple years later, say rain's coming, it's coming. And so in there, this mysterious piece, this Elijah, it says, I think he heard, either heard or he smelled the, the, the sound of thunder, but he knew, he knew, he knew that it was going to rain. And he went out and he told his servant to look for, for the sign of rain. He goes, no, there's nothing there, nothing there, nothing there, nothing there. Sent him another time. And they saw just a little mist, a little cloud on the water. And Elijah said, that's it. It's all over. Go get your galoshes because we're going to need them. And it rained. Elijah saw movement. So we want to train our eyes. Remember the song this morning? We want to train our eyes on what is still unseen. And you will start to see God. You will start to see him do things. Number 10, sometimes he speaks deep in our soul and sometimes he's very quiet. Sometimes many, many of us are challenged hearing the voice of God in his word or challenged hearing the voice of God in those quiet moments deep in our soul, and we wonder, how do we get there? 
you get there by still being unseen and going through this. I take my walks, as I told you in Lambertville. And many times when I'm all wound up, I go to Lambertville. And I start that canal walk right there on the main street, the bridge over there, and I walk a mile in and a mile back, and I just have it out in nice ways with God. And I never know when he's going to start to whisper something in my soul. Sometimes it's at the beginning. Sometimes in the middle when I make a turn. And sometimes I'm 25 feet to getting out and saying, God, where are you? Sometimes he's really quiet. Because when he's quiet, he's building up to something. So when you start out, you go, he's quiet. I really can't connect with him. But the reality is he's quiet because at the right moment, he's going to bring in what you need in that voice, whether from his word or stillness in your soul. But you don't give up. The quiet times are as important as the speaking time. How do I learn these things? Have you thought about a prayer journal? Say, I've never done this, never started this before. It's a blank piece of paper. I'm 38. I'm 108. I'm 18. But here we go, God, and it's this day, and I'm not going to do 10,000 words, but I need a job. Something needs to pop in my family. This is this. I need to get this from you. I'm really upset because my dad left when I was five. My mother did or this. I need help. And just write it down. Just write it down. Because in a couple months, you're going to see that something happened. And you can write down the answer to that. And then you're going to go and say, hey, he wasn't kidding when he said he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So as the band comes up, my heart for you, my heart for each of us, is no matter where you are, Today, even as we walk out of that room or even while you are still here, a whisper in your soul, God, would you start me on this pilgrimage that isn't going to put a halo on my head, that is done by ordinary people, but I will see you in the land of mirages as the unseen one becoming seen. 